This is Service Headline News. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by our historian, Eric Perot. Hey now! And our man in the closet, Jake Wall. What's going on, guys? We're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all servicemen and women. So, take your seats, get informed, and have a laugh as the Swearing In Podcast presents Service Headline News. Hey, Jake, my, my daughter has now been listening to our episodes oh. after all this time, right? She's like, hey, you guys are pretty funny. Yep. She goes, why do you call that guy your man in the closet? Yeah. Does he actually sit in the closet? I said, yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. It's That's the best. Awesome. It's the best sound room in his house. He sits in the closet. Yeah. Well, it, all the flannel absorb and <laughs> all absorb the, the echoes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, let me start off. It's the 13th today, but it will be published on the 14th. So, happy birthday to the U.S. Army. Yes, this, sir. On this date uh, back right. in, what, 1775, 17, 14 June, Army was founded when the Continental yeah. Congress authorized an enlistment of expert riflemen, expert riflemen, to serve the United Colonies for one year. Well, nice. Well, they extended the shit out of that. <laughs> yeah. So happy birthday, U.S. Army. Very happy. good. Uh, Eric, you got a you got a military date in history for us? Yes, a real, uh, a real history. A real history. <laughs> I do. By God, and it's it's an interesting one. Um, do we get to so, guess this time? Yeah. Yeah, you'll never get it. You, right. you guys, is it the birthday of the army? <laughs> As a matter of fact, that's a piece of it. No, it's not. Boom. It's not. No, no. <laughs> you the army the piece. The army piece was all Marty because he's prior army. Oh. So I let him bring in that. Well, and... you know, technically, you guys are sort of yep. prior army heritage. Your prior roots army? come from the army. Oh. Yeah. All right, I Ooh. guess. Yeah. I mean, you guess. I All guess right. I'll buy that. I mean, 1947, I'm, I'm an Air Force guy now. See, when you're as big as strong as Eric is, you just you <laughs> like to create fights. So I don't know how many yeah. listeners we have who are Army, but they're all stewing right now. They're like, this son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> don't let me break out my favorite bomber, pal. I'll bring it on. <laughs> I'll bring it back. So, guys, you know, in the 1800s, the big expansion west, right? Oh. We started taking property and land from the Indians. Um, in June 13th, actually today, in 1979. 1979? Yes. No, you're going to see the connection. So in the 1800s, big expansion headed west. They go all the way to South Dakota. They strike gold. Well, the Army steps back and says, you know what? We're not going to enforce the fact that we gave all that land to the Indians, and we said we wouldn't come on that land without your approval. When they struck gold, the Army just backed up, closed their eyes. place went crazy with miners. You know, they swarmed. Uh-huh. So the Black Hills of South Dakota were taken back by the government in 1877, with force, if you guys will remember a certain battle, Custer, that was another cause that Custer got beat up because we had that mass rush. Well, June 13th, 1979, the United States Court of Claims settled with the Sioux Nation oh. for a five to two opinion of that federal government. Five to two opinions said the Indians were entitled to 70, 17.5 million for the fair market value of the Black Hills area of South Dakota that were taken from them by the government in 1877. Nice. Wow. Stits. Yeah. A hundred years later. Yes. And that yep. was my point. 1924, in the 1920s, this was a pending in the court then. It was, yeah, the Indians' claim had been pending before various courts since 1920. However, in 79, they got the 17.5 million, and they also said they were entitled to interest, which totaled 
90 million and 115 million. The attorney general for the Indians nice. estimated that 60,000 Sioux would benefit from the decision, which still can be appealed to the Supreme Court because the decision was criticized by the Sioux tribe at Pine Ridge. The sacred Black Hills are not for sale, he said, adding the individual Indian would not benefit from the claim. The benefactors, he said, would be the federal government and the Washington lawyers who have worked on this case for the last 40 or 50 years. So trying to do the right thing, I guess you could question that, but we actually tried to settle with money, of course, a, a long disputed uh, agreement between the U.S. government and the Sioux Nation. Well, now so it all, they, it all do they get them? Do they get that land back? No. 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 Okay, so that's not even on the table. So that's why he's pissed. That's right. And that's why the deal really wasn't truly a good deal. It was just a bribe that says... But honestly, though, according to that timeline, the VA is doing really good. <laughs> right? Like if you can get a napalm freaking claim before you die, hey, you did yeah, better than the Sioux Nation. That's right. <laughs> well, and I, I'm going to give you a perfect example of what we were talking about. Do as I say, not as I do. So in yeah. November of 1875, President Grant secretly ordered the army to stop attempting to prevent the miners from entering the area. The government apparently believed that the Sioux need for the rations that the government had been supplying them would prevent the Indians from making trouble. So he said, we provide you a bunch of food. You're not going to have any problem with us bringing in all these miners. And of course, the Sioux Indians said, bullshit. We didn't yeah. agree to it. You've already taken our land four times up till now. Yeah. We've kind of learned our lesson. Yeah. The series of conflicts that broke out that ultimately culminated in the defeat and death of Custer at the Little Bighorn on June 25th, 1876, due directly to us taking that land and uh, breaking the agreement with them. Huh. You know, somebody on his staff was like, are you sure they're not going to be pissed? <laughs> no, no, it'll be good. It'll be good. We they're hungry. We're feeding them. Yeah. They're yeah we give them snacks. <laughs> snacks. A lesson we applied to the uh, Afghan nationals when we went over there. Like, they'll probably be grateful for us giving them MREs, just like the good. just like the Sioux were. <laughs> <laughs> Yet another worked lesson for, we never learned. Worked for custard. Worked for custard. Yep. Uh, well, uh, military defeat. Uh, that's good enough on the this date in history. Thirteen June, nineteen seventy. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Was that Supreme Court case? No. Oh, it no. It's not. Yeah, it's still eligible to be... Um, like uh, appealed or something? Appealed, correct. How petty yep. would that be, right? <laughs> like, oh, man. Okay, you. this lower court awarded you how much money? Um, we're going to appeal it and do another 100 years on this thing. So, Or give us the land back. Keep your money. We get all that land. Uh, no. Not gonna That's not even on the table. <laughs> no. Uh, good one, Eric. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, on to the news. Uh, so, speaking of, well, maybe not the same thing, but uh, it is interesting. Our first story is from the Associated Press, and they're saying, join the military and become a U.S. citizen. So, they have a program. I think they've been running it for a year or two. I, I didn't realize that they had it. But under this program, uh, recruits... Uh, are offered to sign up with the military, and if they get through basic, they'll become American citizens. So you're talking legal, they keep saying legal immigrants, right? Uh, Do we have any of those? <laughs> Holy cow. Hey, that just solved your recruiting problem for the Army. Well, though, right? that's, that's, why, <laughs> that's, they're, that's why they're going to it. Yeah, that's why they're going to it. So recruits are quickly enrolled in the citizenship system, and when they start basic training, an expedited process kicks off, including all required paperwork and testing. By the time the recruits finish their seven weeks of training, the process is complete, and they are sworn in as American citizens. 
seven weeks. All right, that's cool. I like that. However, it's really freaking annoying for as long as it takes years to get through that process. And they're like, yeah, we can really do it just in seven weeks. That well, tells you something. That, yeah, it's wow. It's because if you if you don't have to go through that lazy GS12 up there processing paperwork, like they process <laughs> clearances, no wonder these guys could never get through, right? Uh but there, but there is something. I, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end because I, I, I like the concept of that. Um, it's almost like, hey, sign up to defend your new country, and we'll make you, yeah. we'll make you an American. And I was like, I can get behind that, right? I yeah. can too. But oh, do you really believe you're not going to see some um, loyalty issues to their initial home, well, especially if family are still abroad, they still live there. That is, you have that, loyalties to that other country. That mm. is the other side of the coin, there, right? So, and now you're actually maybe going to war with that country. Now that person's torn. Uh, there is some of that too. So, yeah, but they would be awesome linguists. <laughs> <laughs> If we went to the country, right? If we had to fight uh, in their country, right? Yeah. Uh, last October, the army established. But, but, oh, go ahead, Eric. There's always loyalty issues, you know. I, I think the benefits outweigh the, no, the, I, well, the advantages are outside, outside the disadvantages. I'm on board with it. I, I really believe it'll work, but I still believe there there are issues that they're not thinking about. I don't. Well, I, oh. I, I agree. Yeah, we've proven that with every government decision. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds great in the briefing. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you take, hey, these guys are really willing, and there's probably going to be a lot of them, really willing to be Americans. And if they're willing to stand up and fight for the country, we should make them a citizen. Yes, 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 yes. All the way around the room. But then the one guy is like, well, what if they're just want the citizenship and they're really not that loyal to the country. They're like, Hey, shut that guy up. <laughs> well, we're not fighting a war right now. So they don't care. Oh, well, that's yeah. true. But, uh, how easy could it be to become an American citizen? If you had a long-term plan, uh, yeah. and you had nefarious reasons behind that plan. Oh, yes. Well, this would be, maybe this is a counter counter Intel kind of op though. Like okay, bring them in. That way, we get close to them. And oh, we, we can start run their screens. Their yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe that's a good point. Mm, there you go. Well, uh, last October, either the way, army... <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> last October, the army uh, reestablished a program for legal permanent residents to, uh, and that's a that's a that's a troublesome term, legal permanent residents. So I guess you're in. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand what permanent means. So, but uh, legal permanent residents to apply for accelerated naturalization once they get to basic training. Recruiters began to reach out on social media using short videos in various languages to target the top ten countries that recruits had come from during the previous year. The Air Force effort. So both the Army and now the Air Force has started. The Air Force effort began this year. And the first group of 14 graduated from basic training and were sworn in as new citizens in April. They included recruits from, and remember you're talking about the countries for, right? Mm -hmm. They included recruits from Cameroon, Georgia. Jamaica, Kenya, the Philippines, Russia, and South Africa. Wow. Nice. Uh, so can you, can you maintain a dual citizenship? Get the U.S. and maintain citizenship. Not, with your not according to the U.S. for some reason. You now cannot. I know you can't for a security clearance. You've right. Got to be sole. That's correct. American, right? That's but correct. If you're yeah. not getting a security clearance, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh, where were we? As of mid-May, there are about a hundred in basic training who have begun the citizenship process, and about forty who have completed it. Air Force Major General Ed Thomas, head of the Services Recruiting Command, said, We have large populations of legal U.S. residents who are exceptionally patriotic. They're exceptionally grateful for the opportunities that this country has provided. Just like what we were saying. You get those mm -hmm. people, and you you would be probably grateful to serve next to those guys. They'll probably be the, they'd probably outwork you. They're probably sure. happier to be here than we are, you know? Sure. 
Um, so in that situation, it probably works. General Thomas said the program required changes to Air Force policy, coordination with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and a careful screening process to ensure there mm-hmm. are no security risks. Oh, I'm sure that'll work. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> like half of half of the guys I know have four. The, wives from any one of those countries <laughs> right you've got a wife and in-laws living at your house from any one of those countries we sat next to a whole bunch of screw-ups that all had top secret security <laughs> clearances yeah and you're like well, how do you have this clearance <laughs> well like the prime example is right my bl- my brother was adopted from korea right okay. to keep his so to keep him eligible to go back to Korea and potentially find his birth parents. They left him dual citizenship. Okay. Right. They never applied for his U.S. citizenship until he was 18 and they presented it to him as an option. Hmm. So fast forward a couple of years, Jake claiming his brother. Why was your brother not a U.S. citizen. If he came here at four, why was he not a U.S. citizen at, at 18? I'm like, I explained it, and they're like, yeah, we don't know. Oh, Literally, they, questioned the, you. they were questioning me. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is because of your decision. clearance. Your clearance. Because of right? my clearance. Yeah. However, here's what's bullshit, <laughs> and I called them out on it. The three security guys that were questioning <laughs> me on this all had Filipino, Korean, <laughs> and... Yeah. One other Asian nation wives, and oh, really? had had their freaking parents like from the same freaking country. They're questioning a four year old on. <laughs> wow. They're not going to acknowledge the fact that oh yeah, all of our spouses are from those same countries. Doesn't matter because they, they gotta they gotta go down their checklist. How many yeah. times have you been annoying. through airport security? And seen someone who certainly did not look the part of a U.S. citizen who had a, uh, what do they call the things to wrap on your head? From, you oh, know, uh, that, yeah, not turban. It, well, we'll call it a <laughs> turban because I don't know its official name. <laughs> but if you go to D.C. specifically, uh, what's uh, Dulles? Yeah. I mean, yeah. the whole place looks like a foreign nation. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. And you're checking me to go into the airplane? Please. Yeah. Yeah. Kills me. We're Uh, probably the most suspicious, Eric. You and I. I'm sure. An old white guy. (laughs) You walk into any government building, there's a dozen white, bald guys with beards. (laughs) You're like, there's something going on here. That's true. Oh my God! Hey, guard, keep an eye on those sons of bitches. Yeah, watch those guys. They're white supremacists. Uh, you might be in a club. <laughs> <laughs> it says uh, across the army, close to twenty nine hundred enlisted during the first half of this budget year, compared with about twenty two hundred during the same period last year. The largest numbers are from Jamaica. Uh, with 384, followed by Mexico, Philippines, and Haiti. But many are from Nepal, Nigeria, Ghana, Cameroon, Colombia, and the Dominican Republic. So a lot of South America and Africa. Uh, yeah. How long is their enlistment? They just have a four-year enlistment. Well, that but the, they, the story told. Uh, I, they I get think expedited the, after a year. No, they get or after ex- basic. Sorry. After basic. Yeah, yeah. They get hmm. they get they're American citizens once they finish basic. So yeah, that's cool. Um, but they have uh, they they told a story about uh, this woman. I can't remember what country she was from, but she had just been naturalized after she finished basic. But she signed up for a reserve. Uh, oh, was, okay. So she did basic, and now she's doing one week in a month. But now she's an American that's citizen. So smart. Yeah, that's a good deal. And that holy cow. Yeah, you didn't say anything. Did it say anything about them being able to now bring family members? It didn't, it didn't go into that. Okay. I was well, just curious. Right. Bringing other family members back now that they were U.S. citizens. But that's, but that's another thing. They can start that process, thing, right? though. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like uh, the old service member marrying the Korean woman. All of a sudden, you got a Korean yeah. family living with you. Yeah. Because yeah. that's the tradition, right? 
So um, I, I, I think it's pretty cool. I like the I like the thought of it. It's like, hey, you want to be part of this country? Then do your part for it. It's almost a, it's almost a little of uh, the Israeli thing, you know. To yeah. be a citizen, you got to serve in the military. Um, but it does open the door wide open for yeah some real some counter, potential issues, counterintelligence issues. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, but you know, it's just another effort that they're trying to make up for recruiting shortfalls. So. But to be fair, I highly doubt Jamaica's invading anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> they can have all the info. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, no war scientist. No. <laughs> no, you're uh, not. If I were, I'd say probably <laughs> unlikely. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> All right, uh, let's go on to some acquisition news, some tech news here. The Army's getting a new light tank. This is from taskandpurpose.com. Uh, the Army's getting a new light tank. It's called the M10 Booker. All right. Is this replacing a Bradley? No. Okay. It's like bridging a gap, right? Got and it. it's supposed to... Um, and the article explained it here, but it's supposed to be basically in support of infantry troops. And so it's not going to be an armor unit. It's not going to do armor missions. It's just supposed to be like an accompanying. It's like what a Bradley is supposed to do, except it's more, it's more heavily armor. has got a bigger punch. Okay. So the army will officially field its new, Mobile protected firepower system under the designation of the M10 Booker combat vehicle. Uh, they announced that this is last weekend. So conceived as a more compact version of the M1 Abrams tank, the M10 is designed to give light infantry and airborne units increased firepower and bridge a gap in the Army's armor fleet between the Abrams and the Striker. So the light is kind of a light infantry vehicle. I don't. I have no idea why they're phasing out the Bradley. You know. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, but we're it, sending Bradleys to Ukraine, so it was successful in the it's, desert, it, man. It, it, seemed, it seemed to be. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's contracts. I don't know. Um, the Booker will provide protected direct fire support for light infantry units in a lighter, more easily transportable package than the Abrams. Well, yeah, but I mean, they have the striker and they have the Bradley and they have the FLTV and or whatever that thing is called, JLTV. Yeah. Anyway, uh, maybe that, we just that's have... a huge difference, though. Like the difference between that and Abrams is massive. That's yeah. like saying, well, with C 130s can do it. Why can't the C 5 do it? Uh, fair. That's a fair. Like, okay. Right. Uh, right, but it's still. I mean, if you look at the M10, if you search the yeah, I'm M10 looking at it now. Vehicle, it looks like an M1. Yeah, right? I mean, it's but it it's, says it's not a light tank. Well, it is not. This a article light tank. is saying it is a light tank, but yeah, I, but it's it's, uh, it's it's wording so because they don't want to call it a light tank because then they think armor maneuver. They want it as an infantry support vehicle, even though it, it can't carry any infantry. It only yeah. has a crew of four. So, but uh, let's see. The armament includes, it's a 105 main gun, a coax 7.62, and an external 50 cal. Sure sounds um, like a tank to me. <laughs> you know. Wow. The, the vehicle weighs essentially half of what an M1 weighs. So it's 38 tons, and the M1 is almost double that. It's light enough that two can be flown on a C-17, uh, whereas a C-17 can only fly one M1 Abram. So essentially, it's half the weight. Uh, I looked at the price. It's like half the cost, and it has a 105 main gun versus a 120 main gun. That's essentially mm -hmm. the difference. So they're looking to field this thing to support infantry units, even though they're going to use tankers to do it. So that'll be an interesting thing. Um, mm. But the the real interesting part is how they came upon the name. So this Booker 
is actually it's, named. Wait, wait, Marty, let me guess. <laughs> it's named after the musician Booker T of <laughs> Booker T and the MGs, 1962, <laughs> top 100 hit, Green Onions. Perfect. <laughs> is that it? I was right on. Well, th- I think that was the first suggestion. <laughs> but the one they went with, it's actually uh, named after two soldiers named Booker. And they're separated by about 60 years. So, oh, jeez. The first one was, and this is this is the crux of the article. It wasn't about the tank. It was more about why they named it this way, which is, I actually like it. I like how they named it this way. Um, the first one was Robert Booker. He was born in Callaway, Nebraska, and was assigned to Company B, 133rd Infantry Regiment, 34th Infantry Division, at the time of his death on April 9th, 1943, near Fonduc, Tunisia. So while facing blistering enemy fire, Booker nice. carried a light machine gun and a box of ammunition over 200 yards of open ground, continuing to advance despite the fact that two enemy machine guns and several mortars were using him as an individual target. Wow. <laughs> Although enemy artillery also began to register on him, upon reaching his objective, he immediately commenced firing. After being wounded, he silenced one enemy machine gun as, and was beginning to fire at the other, when he received a second mortal wound. With his last remaining strength, he encouraged the members of his squad and directed their fire. He was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. Wow. So that's the first Booker in 1943. The second Booker uh, was named Stephen Booker, uh, or Stevan Booker, a native of Apollo, Pennsylvania. He was killed on April 5th, 2003 while serving as a tank commander with Company A, 1st Battalion, 64th Armor of the 3rd Infantry Division. That day, Booker was leading an armor task force along Iraq's deadly Highway 8 toward Baghdad International Airport when his platoon was ambushed by small arms and rocket-propelled grenade fire. Booker led his tank on counterattack, but as malfunctions piled up, Booker left the safety of the, uh, the, safety of the Abrams interior. Oh, I'm sorry. Booker led his tank on a counterattack, but his external machine gun uh, malfunctioned. So Booker left the safety of the Abrams interior to fire at enemy positions from the top of the tank. Uh, when, <laughs> when both his and his crew's machine guns malfunctioned, Staff Sergeant Booker were told to disregard for his personal safety, exposed himself by lying in a prone position on top of the tank's turret and accurately engaged the enemy forces with his personal weapon. While exposed, he effectively protected his platoon's flank and delivered accurate information to his command during a critical and vulnerable part of the battle. Booker's fearless attitude and excitement over the communications network inspired his platoon to continue the attack and assured them and leadership that they would defeat the enemy and reach their objective safely. Um, noting that Booker continuously or he Booker continuously engaged the enemy along the eight kilometer route until he was mortally wounded by enemy fire. Uh, his, Booker's family was presented with his distinguished service cross in April, 2019, surrounded by hundreds of th- third ID soldiers and veterans. So he laid on top of that tank as it was going forward. Yeah. Shooting his weapon at anything he could. That's, That's the most macho way to die I ever. Oh, man. A, I mean, somebody's like, get in here, Jeez. get in here. He's like, no, keep going, keep going. <laughs> Jeez, that's pretty badass. Pretty badass. Like so, a Dr. Stranger Love riding the bomb in. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> riding this turret all the way in. Holy cow. So that's the two bookers that the M10 Booker is named after. So that's crazy. Like I said, the article's more about those two bookers and why they named it that than the actual tank. And it's like, God, we're just we're buying yeah. another new vehicle. It's unbelievable. You know, and, and I never realized until we started doing this show how much stuff we're just continuously putting oh. into R and D and but continuously yeah. giving contracts for. It's amazing. Non stop. I mean, they yep. want to replace the Bradley. They hell, they want to replace the the damn F twenty two now. Yep. You're like, geez, that's that's our newest thing. We so, don't even give it time to be successful. No, right. Just, oh, time to replace it. 
But but we've proven that before with Eric's BS bomber choice. <laughs> it didn't, it's all the timeline. We 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 get one thing point. it proves yeah. itself. Yeah. And then we ride that thing out and then there's meanwhile there's other stuff in the middle. Well, it's like, oh, we need to replace a B fifty two. Hey, let's bring up the B thirty six. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. It had its moment of glory. It did, and it faded out. And what's still in service? The damn B-52. B-52. Yeah. Well, supposedly with uh, this budget, they are going to retire a whole bunch of A-10s and F-15s. Wow. Is is now the right time to start getting rid of equipment when we're all desperately short of equipment? Mm. You know? Seems odd. There's a lot of questions. Yeah, there is. There is. Uh, speaking of vehicles, yes, your, your <laughs> article is funny that you mentioned it. Cause my article is also talking about new technology. Oh, you're so smooth, Eric. Yeah, oh, that segue was, was good. Just perfect. <laughs> Damn, that was good. I even yes. sent, I even <laughs> sent you a picture. Um, <laughs> uh, the, Listeners, the if you want to hone your skills like this, we offer uh, a Patreon page. That no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Nobody's paying for that crap. <laughs> right. Hi. So the Marines are also getting a new light tactical vehicle. It's an ultralight tactical dune buggy. Now it's funny because I thought the Army had some Polaris vehicles. It was the MRZR, the all-terrain vehicle. Yeah, they had that for a little while, right? Yeah, well, this it came in like you said. It, it's only been in service. It was delivered, uh, filled to infantry and recon marines back in 2017. Yeah, it looks and, like a razor. Well, this one is replacing the one from 2017. Jesus. Oh, yeah, so the marines are getting <laughs> a uh, two-person ULTV as an advanced lightweight solution to provide troops with enhanced mobility and sustainability in denied environments. This thing looks just like a razor, like you said. Uh, like its Army cousin, the infantry squad vehicle, the ULTV doesn't feature extensive ballistic armor for survivability. Instead, the vehicle will rely on its smaller size and speed to evade enemy threats. It's not an assault vehicle. Program manager for light tactical vehicles, Jennifer Moore, told National Defense Magazine ahead of the service's release of the ULTV. Uh, it is to lighten the load of the warfighter and then also to provide casualty evacuation support. So it's going to be throw your gear on here, throw your, you know, your casualties, and let's get out of here. Yeah. The souped-up dune buggy fits on both the MV-22 Osprey, Osprey tilt rotor aircraft as well as the CH-53 King Stallion heavy lift helicopter. The ULTV can find support infantry can support infantry needs ranging from logistical support and casualty evacuation to command and control and electronic warfare missions, as well as scouting missions. Go figure. Yeah. The ULTV fielding uh, comes amid a major reorganization of the Marine Corps amid at becoming more agile for a projected conflict in the Indo-Pacific region. So it's all about China right now, man. I know. It truly is. Uh, Fielding the ULTVs serves as a signal that the Corps is keeping in stride with the amphibious roadmap laid out in Force Design 2030. Uh, Colonel John Gilteris, Portfolio Manager for Logistics Combat Element Systems, in a statement, this new capability will ultimately help forge a more agile and resilient Corps, one which is empowered to overcome the evolving complexities of modern warfare. Bottom line, it's going to be fast, it's going to get in, it's going to deliver troops, It'll pull troops out, and that's what it's for. I don't, I don't, it's hard to picture how that's going to be employed, right? Well, yeah, there's that, absolutely no armor on it. I, no, there's no doors on it. Correct. It's and, an open door razor, is what it but is. But if you go, if you go, let's take, the, let's take your old Humvee, right? With yeah. the soft sided doors and all that shit. Um, Humvee had enough room. I mean, yeah, you could get the four pack configuration, but it still had kind of a middle. You know, I mean, if you needed a, if somebody was wounded, you could throw them in there. You could throw more ammo in there. This thing, and we'll put a link in it in the description, 
this thing doesn't look like it carries much more than just the four guys riding it. Well, if you notice in the back, there is a small compartment for munitions, I'm sure. You could probably lay a, a litter across the top of that thing. The Curl good, up, buddy. Hold on. Yeah. The good thing about this, Razor, though, is it's going to climb out of situations that a Humvee probably couldn't get out of. This thing can get over that kind of terrain. I don't, I, I don't know. It's odd, though. It just seems like you're more vulnerable riding in this thing. That I would agree. Than you yeah, were that's a guarantee. You... There's nothing there, man. It's yeah. just in a roll cage. Yeah. And then, and given the way the military goes, they'll give these things out, but then two months later, they'll require everybody wear bicycle helmets to operate them. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting too? The 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 plus in this thing, if you if there is a plus, it's only eighty thousand dollars a piece. Maybe that's maybe that's the reason, but still, yeah. it just doesn't seem to be as eighty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, eighty thousand bucks a piece. It's going to bring the fleet roughly four hundred and twenty, following earlier vehicle buys in fiscal years twenty two and twenty three. Huh. The service's unfunded priorities list also contains an additional six million for additional ULTB. So eighty thousand. When you can get a razor to run down in Moab for I don't know fourteen thousand, <laughs> right, right? Seems a little overboard. Well, when I went out to the twenty fifth Infantry Division out in Hawaii, they're a traditional light fighter division, in a company of one hundred and twenty guys, they had three Humvees. Yeah, you know, they walked or were carried everywhere. So they had three Humvees, one for the commander, and I think. One for the XO and, and you know, I, I don't know. One for the first sergeant, maybe, yeah. to run rations or something like that. But everybody else were leg infantry. They were walking or they were parachuting in or they were getting air assaulted. Hmm. But the majority of what they did was walk. Marines, I think, are essentially the same way, right? Yeah. So I don't know how these employ into this Marine doctrine. I mean, if they have the engine that I think they have on it, if they're like a razor, you can easily throw somebody out the side of that thing. Oh, you yeah. A, you take that curve. <laughs> you ain't strapped in that bad boy. But like I said, it'll crawl over some terrain that a Humber wouldn't have crawled up. I, I agree. I'm sure. I'm sure it would. Right. Yeah. So if you've got to get out of a sticky area, that's probably the vehicle you want. Other yeah, than... If you're in a sticky area, I don't know where you're driving those damn things. Yeah. Like, they're <laughs> shooting. Don't drink. Don't bring the razor in. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's cool looking. It's cool yeah. looking, but it'll be interesting to see how they're employed with all these new vehicles. My God. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Eric. And here's another Marine story. This is out of task and purpose. Now I brought this story up. It's kind of it's kind of dry, but at the end, I want to ask you both the question. So. Uh, from taskandpurpose.com, Marines want to use tomahawks to sink enemy ships from a thousand miles away. All right, sounds like a good idea. I'm on board. The Navy is developing a new long-range anti-ship missile, dubbed the Marine Time Strike, the Maritime Strike Tomahawk, that would allow Marine units based on Japanese islands to sink Chinese ships taking part in an invasion of Taiwan. So. I get it. You know, you, you send these out with uh, little teams and here comes your big destroyer. And all of a sudden out of blue from this little <laughs> spit of land, you got this tomahawk bearing down. On yeah. It. You're like, that's pretty badass. Yeah. It's a good idea. Uh, right now, the Marine Corps. Now, this is a horrible acronym. Uh, the Marine Corps Navy Marine Ex Expeditionary Ship Interdiction System. N-M-E-S-I-S -S, or Nemesis. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Uses naval Jeez. strike missiles, which have a range of up to a hundred of only up to 115 miles. So Tomahawk missiles, however, have a range of up to a thousand. Can that thing be launched from a I I'm trying to figure out what a launch vehicle well, looks like. Well, they're they're developing that. And they're developing these uh these uh units that will okay. specifically do this, right? The Maritime Strike Tomahawk or MST 
is intended to strike moving targets at sea up to a thousand miles away. Um, the Navy expects to receive its first maritime strike tomahawks in late 2024. Hmm. Uh, maritime st- or MSTs would give the Marine Corps a long-range strike capability, allowing it to protect four deployed Marine units, which would be able to operate within range of an enemy's long-range defenses. That's yeah, a good idea and concept, but here. Yeah. The Marine Corps Expeditionary Advanced Base Operations concept, the whole thing they're trying to move the Marines towards, and I think that buggy was part of the reorg of the Marines. Sure. Um, But it calls, now listen to this, it calls for putting small numbers of Marines ashore on temporary locations, Mm -hmm. such as remote islands in the Pacific, from which they could target enemy ships with this tomahawk. Doesn't sound like a new uh, mission. You throw a couple Marines out there and you leave them be. And well, <laughs> you got one shot, right? Then you're. Yeah. What are you doing? You better, like you better start digging, baby. Dig you know, hope they come back <laughs> as soon as they see this missile coming at us. We're like everything you got on that island. Smoke <laughs> the island. Yeah. So that's some. Uh, you probably got some Medal of Honor winners coming out of that duty. I mean, my God. Mm-hmm. You get maybe two shots. I don't know. Yeah. But how'd you like to be like a little squad of three or four guys? Well, and you know how many of them are going to be left behind, forgotten about. That's exactly <laughs> when conflict happened starts. in World War II. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, we put guys all over the place. Yep. Yeah. You know? So there was still like what up until the nineties, there was a a Japanese guy living on one of the islands. Yeah, he was real famous. I think he came out. They, yeah, they talked him exactly. off, off the ledge, and he was like, "No, you you don't have to fight anymore, buddy." Yeah, yeah. In fact, you guys are our friends now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? Yeah. Uh, then he became the uh, CEO of Toyota. So yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about horses. Okay, let's talk about horses. Specifically, Arlington National Cemetery horses. Do you guys know anything about horses? Not a thing. <laughs> Four legs and a tail. Yeah, oh, thank you very much. Uh, IKEA <laughs> was making meatballs out of you. Would have been valued. <laughs> you would have been <laughs> from stripes.com. The army is suspending horse-drawn funerals at Arlington National Cemetery for a year. Right? Hmm. The 3rd Infantry Regiment's Quezon Platoon was initially pulled from escorting caskets of fallen service members to grave sites for 45 days initially. But Army officials said this week that the suspension will continue for a year to ensure the health of the platoon's herd. What kind of hmm. health? What, what, what problems do they got? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Knee <laughs> problems. Well, you would think. that's That doesn't even mention their knees. So... Arlington National Cemetery will extend its suspension of horse-drawn funerals until June 2024, while the Army rehabilitates its troubled, troubled working horses program. Veterinarians and equine experts recommend the extension to give the platoon's 27 horses more time to rest and recover and allow the Army to make changes to stabilize the program. So it makes it sound like, man, they're working these horses to death. Yeah, it does. And it did say that these horses do anywhere from like eight to ten uh, services a day. Wow! And you're like, okay, all right, but they're, but they're just walking. Yeah, all right. they're just pulling. Might be time yeah. to bring in old Douglas with the camels. Oh god! <laughs> Good call. That was great. Eric, they're not oh. they're not feeding the people at the gravesite. So you don't need Douglas. It's not. But I'm talking about it's it's capability. (laughs) They go longer without getting hydrated, dehydrated. This concludes the ceremony. If you'd like to step over to the the canopy over there. We have a big buffet line. (laughs) The livestock slaying station. (laughs) We shot shot the current camel. He's fresh. All right, so the working horses are at rehabilitation facilities for treatment of hoof, joint, and muscle injuries related to their ceremonial work carrying a caisson 
A chest formerly used for ammunition has been used to bring dead soldiers off the battlefield since the 1800s. An mm-hmm. army report last year showed his military working horses were suffering from poor and potentially life-threatening living conditions. Four of the Quezon platoon's horses died in the past two oh, years, cow. including two that had gravel and sand in their digestive systems. Now, this is mm. horrible. In February 2020... This isn't a matter of overworking these poor animals. This is Right, that's exactly right. just abusing your hole. When you hear the conditions of these horses, you'll be shocked. Uh, in February 2022, Mickey and Tony, the two platoon horses from the old guard, were euthanized within days of each other due to colon impaction. Oh, my God. According to an investigation by the Army, horrible living condition. Tony had to be euthanized because he, the sand and gravel impaction in his case was too extensive to be removed through surgery. Hmm. The report related to Mickey stated there was a, quote, dry, firm mass of feed or foreign material such as dirt or sand. So the Army investigator. Wow. The Army investigator, according to the investigation, veterinarians found sediment in the manure of other horses, which could be attributed to the small amount of grass available in their turnout fields. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, the two horses. They're not providing enough food for these poor animals. Exactly right. Exactly and they're right. eating everything down to literally Starving. the rocks. Right. Wow. Yeah. And this and is then getting them out there every day to do eight freaking funerals. This is such an Army oh. operation, as you hear this. The two horses that died were also in their 20s and had likely consumed sand and gravel from the ground while eating hay. Additionally, the low quality of hay made it difficult for older horses to digest as they searched for edible feed by nosing it on the ground. Army veterinarians observed this problem half a year before the horses died, but they didn't escalate the issue beyond the platoon leadership. Damn, see, and again, nobody gets fired. Isn't this so typically Wow. Uh, So they raised the question through the appropriate channels, and nothing happened. They told him, they're like, hey, your horses are eating dirt. Unbelievable. And I'm like, okay, thanks. We'll see you later. Get out of here, nerd doctor. (laughs) This guy. Like, like we don't know our horses. (laughs) He calls himself a veterinarian. That's not even in the army. Guys, the Air Force in the Philippines had the only horse uh, horse unit where we actually had mounted horse patrol. Really? Yeah, those horses were taken better than better care of than the people that rode them. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah those things were precious, man, because we used them to go into the big tall elephant grass. And I mean, those oh, guys, sure. that shit yeah. went everywhere. So those horses were well taken care of. <laughs> The damn shame that something at like Arlington you can't take care of the horse. Well, it says Air, um, Vandenberg still has mounted horses. They do to, to patrol. Yeah, to, to patrol the whole. Oh, because the it's big whole yeah, area. Yeah. The, yeah, the whole base and especially it's, like the coastline stuff too, right? Yeah, but they don't belong coast, to the Air coast. Force, do they? It's a. They are. No. No, they are. Oh, maybe not. I don't think so. <laughs> but either way. There's horses at Vandenberg. People in camouflage ride them, okay, to clear the areas around missile fields. Yeah, and that makes sense. Yeah, to make sure launches are good. Right, right. Okay, yeah, that might be true. Shit. But they, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so they we have, have to research that one. They had bad hay, right? The low quality. Oh yeah, of hay, sorry. Right. So the platoon was unable to compel the hay supplier to furnish superior quality hay because the army contract did not specify the necessary nutritional value. They just said, Hey, these guys are like, give them the cheap stuff, man. They don't know any better. So the investigation revealed that the small turnout fields where horses grazed outdoors were filled with construction debris and manure. Even if these fields were in good condition, they would have been insufficient to p- support more than six or seven horses. How many horses do you think the army had out there in that field? Ninety-three. Close. Well, six, no. they had sixty-four of them. Oh my god! In a field that could only support six or seven, they had sixty-four of them. 
No wonder they ate everything down to the nub. There wasn't nothing left. <laughs> uh, in the past few months, the Army has taken the initiative to retire some of its older horses. The Army has taken the initiative. Somebody got their ass chewed. They're like, hey, you got you to gotta do something. So they retire some of its older horses, some of which were up to 20 years old and still part of the team that pulled the over 2,500-pound caissons. More pasture land has also been leased, taken, and Congress has provided the necessary funding to upgrade the stables. Why do they have to upgrade the stables? <laughs> well, they need more area. More money. And, and not put the hay on the ground. I said, right. I said, those feeders, aren't. you can get those feeders at Tractor Supply or Big R. Easy. Right. Elevated right. off the ground. Once a quarter, rinse it out. Once a month, rinse it out. It's not that difficult. Yeah, no, go, it ain't. Go muck yeah. the stables, right? Go muck the stables. Yeah, go take care of these animals that take care of you. I don't even know how, and I think I could do a better job than them bums. Yeah, right. Jeez, yeah. man. The Army is currently developing a lighter caisson to lessen the burden on horses and creating new saddles and other equipment to prevent horse injuries. The Army has since, since, now this is a revelation, the Army has since hired a full-time herd manager and enhanced the horses' diets after the euthanizations occurred, when the regular veterinary blood work indicates that the horses are making progress. So well, that's good. Who was, right. who was managing this before? Some some guy who got <laughs> non-volved into that assignment? The like, traditional Army reservists. <laughs> One weekend a month. Yep, they're looking good. Looking good. I'll be back next month. Make sure you pay for my orders. Uh, yeah. un unfortunately, two more horses had to be euthanized since then, one because of a leg fracture and the other due to intestinal issues. Uh, like I said, the platoon typically takes part in up to eight military funerals per day at Arlington National Cemetery. So, no more horses for a year. Well, All right. someone needs to be fired. All right, take us home, Jake. What do you got? Man, so it's a Marine and Arm, or sorry, Marine First and off, Navy heavy what day. What the hell is going on in the Far East? Remember we had that story, we had that story last week about the two guys the, yeah. smashing cars, remember that? <laughs> oh, here's, here's what's funny, Marty. We were talking about this article before this, right? Hmm. I literally thought it would pop up. All I did was Google Marines arrested Okinawa. Yeah. Oh, man. There, way too general. There was so many <laughs> articles. <laughs> I mean, it's every month. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and then yeah. growing up, there was always those, or, you know, while I was in, there was always those threats for Okinawa to shut down. Because every five to six years, some Marine goes all radio. Yep. Gets all stupid. And then it gets <laughs> dumb. And then, like, the whole island is like, nope, we're sick and right. tired of it. Right, right. Well, yeah. like, okay, it's once a year, me thinking that. <clears throat> and then I look at these articles. I was like, it's every single weekend. <laughs> you know? If you, if you didn't hate Americans before this, right? Oh, okay. So... Here's the first one. We have two individuals in this article. So Japanese police arrested U.S. Marine and a Navy sailor <laughs> on suspicion of trespassing in separate incidents. So I like the suspicion part. Yeah. Well, sure. <laughs> and they and surprise, surprise, both incidents involve alcohol. Oh, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> First incident, the uh, Navy seaman, uh, seaman apprentice, sorry, Orlando Cruz, 21, climbed onto a second floor balcony of a, of a <laughs> other U.S. service member around five in the morning. God, five in and the morning. And then struck the window, right? And then struck the window until the person opened up. The police found Cruz behaving violently yeah. at this home occupied by an unnamed U.S. sailor in his 30s. At so, 5.20 a.m., so was he going all night? 
Or did he kind of? I, pass yeah, they out had been drink. Up? I bet you they had been drinking all. That guy had been drinking all night. Yeah. Then climbed to this other dude's balcony. And celebrate knocked, the nuggets knocked on his window <laughs> until basically the cops showed up and then behaved violently. Yeah, that's, that's a determined guy. If you're that drunk and you still are able oh. to climb up to a second floor, that's pretty good. Well, you know what? Not to be outdone by the Navy, the Marines go, <laughs> Hold my damn beer. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. Oh, so, bruise. Blood alcohol level, impressive, of 0. 0.12. Yeah, that's good. He only Ooh. climbed to the second story, though. By the way, right. A little less alcohol level. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Marine slightly underachieving, but Corporal Weed. That's awesome. Man. <laughs> oh, it's great. Bladed Weed. That's crazy. Oh, that's yeah. applicable. He measured only 0. 0.09. So mm. now, I'm well, sure when it they, was well, significantly wait, wait, wait. higher. Po- only 0. 0.09 when they got him. Exactly. So he was coming down. Yep. So a a woman <laughs> called the cops. Local lady called the cops. She's 69 years old. After she found Corporal Bladenweed, 22. <laughs> sleeping on her fourth floor balcony oh my god on sunday the woman oh. called this the cops at 12 17 p.m so he so at he noon. did all this bef- yeah and, and during the day at noon taking uh, a nap for quite a while <laughs> yeah she she reported this and that an unknown foreigner with excrement in his pants was sleeping <laughs> on the balcony. So not only did the Marine climb a fourth floor, still blow a .09, and have poop in his pants, <laughs> and <laughs> slept through the day. himself. Yeah. I don't know, during the climb or after the climb, it doesn't specify in the article. Wow. But some... Shitty pants foreigners on my balcony. <laughs> oh my god! And then I'll take you back to the earlier statement: suspicion. Of <laughs> okay. Middle of the day. Middle of the day. I'm He's pretty sure she out. has the poop stains on her balcony. <laughs> That's not suspicion. That's, That's confirmation. That's confirmed. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's fl- let's flip oh. that around. You walk out on your fourth floor apartment. And you find, uh, yeah. I don't know, the French soldier laying on your balcony. You're like, enough. My next stop At is noon. my councilman is like, get these guys out of here. Right? Every oh damn weekend. Every week. I come out here on noon on a Sunday and I find this. <laughs> oh, my God. And what are they doing for us? What are they doing for us? I, I, Why are they much. here again? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. So both service members were held on suspicion of breaking into residences. Uh, um, it's a $700 punishable by three years in prison and a $700 fine. I believe you're going to jail, boys. Yeah. But like they were both a mile and a half from base. Uh, just couldn't it, make it back. Just couldn't make just it. Just taking man. a nap. Thanks for closing us out. I think that's end up for today. Uh, good one, Jake. Good one, Eric. Uh, good episode. Uh, on behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. Man, thanks for the week, and I'll see you next week. Looking forward to it, fellas. All right, guys. We'll see you later. And Eric, I don't have anything for you. Come on, oh, oh, I thought I was gonna get a big one, man. It's been oh, several weeks in a row, oh, you haven't. Uh, it's only been one week. All right, I failed on the the day in history. You have now failed on your broad comment. Yeah. All right. All right. You gotta have one. Thanks for everyone listening, and we'll see you next week.